as you know, I have been a Christian for most of my life. I mean, I remember, you know, one of my first prayers was the sinner's prayer. And I remember like being unsure at three if I had done it right. You know, did I do that right? Did I leave out a word? I better do it again. And, you know, growing up in Sunday school, at the end of every class, they would always say, is there anyone here who wants to receive Jesus? Well, every time you receive Jesus, you got a free Bible. That's how it used to be. So I had like 30 Bibles. And my mom went to the Sunday school teacher and said, you know, please don't give Cheryl any more Bibles. She doesn't need any more Bibles. You know, Jesus lives in her heart. My mom would be like, Cheryl, you have Jesus in your heart. I'm three. I'm like, do I? Okay, but you know, they're giving out Bibles. But as I grew into a teenager, I came into this new struggle. And I, I've seen this struggle, you know, raising kids who know Jesus. I've seen this struggle in them. And this is the struggle. It is about the will of God. And I've got to say that as a teenager and as a young college student, I was scared to death of the will of God. The idea of giving everything to Jesus absolutely terrified me. Now, I would sing I Surrender All because that was the song at the moment. But I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it, and I I couldn't sing it with all of my heart. Even as Satan lied to Eve in the garden in Genesis 3, verses 4 through 5, saying, And the servant serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. In other words, Satan was saying to Eve, God does not want your best. God is not interested in your fulfillment, in satisfying your taste. And we get this idea in our head that God is the good comrade in the sky. That he's only interested in our needs, but not in the things that will bless and bring us joy. Where do we get ideas like that? And yet I know that Satan lied to me and he whispered to me, that God did not have my personal interest at heart. He told me that God wanted me to suffer. Refiner's fire. You know, I cannot sing that honestly, because that is not my heart's one desire. You know, a chocolate brownie, yes. The refiner's fire, no. And I don't think I could ever pray for the refiner's fire. I don't think that's ever been a desire of my heart. Never. But we get this idea that God wants us to suffer. Satan lied to me and told me that God would and wanted to deny me what I most wanted. You want that? We think that when we ask God for bread, he's going to give us a rock. Because this, you know, is better for you. 
You only think you need bread. Take a rock. Or that if we ask for an egg, it's going to be a serpent. Jesus said, that is not God. And that is not how God works. And that is not what God does. He said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, How much more the Heavenly Father will give good gifts to those who ask? On Christmas Day, do you like to give really bad presents to your children? Is that your delight? Like, open that up. (laughs) Hope you like coal. You know, we don't do that. We're so excited about the gift that we're giving our children. I've told you this story, but I'm going to tell you it again. Because I repeat myself because I'm getting old and I'm allowed to. I run, one time told dad, there was a woman who used to, every time I would repeat a story in Vista, she'd go, meaning I told it nine times, you know? And I was telling that to my dad. And my dad goes, are you kidding? I always repeat my stories. They like my stories. And I was thinking, yeah, I like your stories too. And sometimes you and my dad was preaching, you're like, oh, it's going to be this story, right? You know, or like, I love it when Chuck tells this story. Well, okay, get used to it. I repeat too. As my father, so shall I be. But one year at Christmas time, my daughter kept asking for a fur coat. Like, I want a fur coat. And like, I could afford that, you know, and I was definitely not going to go get an animal and kill it for her. So she kept asking for this fur coat. And so I happened to be at Ross with my oldest daughter. And there on the clearance rack was the ugliest fake fur coat I'd ever seen in my life. It looked like a dead bear with crystal buttons. I mean, it was seriously ugly. And it was $10. And my oldest daughter is like, you have to. You have to, Mom. You have to buy this. I'm like, you buy it for her. And he goes, she goes, no, I don't have $10. And I, you buy it. You know, as her mother, you have to buy it. So I bought it. And I put it in a beautiful, beautiful Bloomingdale's box. And I wrapped it with tissue paper. Just gorgeous, right? And then I wrapped it in my best Christmas wrap and put the most gorgeous bow on it. Now, she had also wanted a pair of boots. And I bought her the pair of boots. And I wrapped them in my ugliest wrapping paper. Ugliest, right? The, you know, the stuff like with Snoopy on it that's like three years old that you got at the 99 cent store. And just one of those stick bows that had kind of been crushed already. And that was that present. And I, I kind of put it behind. So everyone's unwrapping their presents. And I don't know about you, but at Christmas time, when it comes to present unwrapping, it is pure mayhem and flying paper. And it, you're trying to see through the maze if anyone's opened the gift that you've given them yet. And all of a sudden, through the mayhem, I hear Brian say, Cheryl, do you have a receipt for this? And I look over and Kelsey's like, it's so ugly. I can't believe she did this. In the meantime, my daughter gave her this um, picture frame with all these beautiful um, sequins and, you know, um, crystals in it. It was beautiful. And it had two... um, two minks, and they were saying, please don't kill our mother. It was really cute, and it was framed in this beautiful frame. But that gift was not a bad gift, because she could use the frame, but my gift. And she's like, Daddy, Daddy, look what Mom did. And he's like, Cheryl, where's the receipt? 
And I'm trying to look at everybody else, my grandkids opening their presents. I'm like, Brian, I don't know what I do with my receipt. But I realized I forgot to bring Brian in on the joke. And I didn't want to say that's really a joke present because I knew the the real good present was coming. And so I, I just said, Brian, have her open the other present. He goes, you mean the one with the crush bow? You know, Brian has nothing to do with buying the presents at Christmas. But he takes credit at Christmas time, on Christmas Day. Do you like it? It's like, where were you? You know you hate the malls. You know you won't go to the places I go for presents. But yet, do you like it? And then he looks at me like, we did it, honey. We brought it down. Nevertheless, when the present's bad, Cheryl, what have you done to my baby girl? So I said, oh my goodness, have her open that one. He's looking at it like this one. And I actually used a box that somebody had sat on. And, you know, it was, she, she opens it up and everything's all right because it's, it's the boots she wanted. It's wonderful. I'm back in good graces with my husband and family. But, you know, an ugly jacket like that is too good to waste. It must be recycled. And that's why God created white elephant parties, especially at Christmas time. So we invited all these people over. I rewrapped it. It was the biggest present there. And we were about to open presents, and my nine-year-old grandson says, I love this game. So he picked that present, and he put it on his lap and because it was the biggest. And I had rewrapped it, and he just had all this anticipation. And I began to cry. And Brian looked at me and said, What's going on? And I wasn't sure if it was laughter or crying, but it was kind of like. And Brian's like, you didn't. Because he he knew. I did. did." And he goes, oh, no. I'm like, I know. Oh, no. So then, you know, because we had a lot of adults, they're all looking at Brian and I. And Brian starts just like. And he's laughing. And he's kind of like, oh, no, my poor grandson. And everyone's, you know, doing that and stealing things. And he's just holding on like, nobody's getting this one. This is all mine. And then it comes to his time. By this time, everyone's kind of in on it. And they're like, what? What? Because they can sense something. Because Brian and I don't usually look like that. And he unwraps it. And he takes the lid off. And he goes, Aah! But some of us feel that way about the will of God. Like he gave me this gift and in it, there's a dead bear with crystal buttons just waiting for me to be disappointed. You know, but he wrapped it so good. But when I open this box, oh no, what is it going to be? Satan lies and tells us that God does not care about our deepest desires. And yet in the word of God, we're told that he delights to give good gifts to those who love him. A struggle ensued with with my will and God's will. And I was constantly choosing my will above what I felt was God's will. Now, I gave some areas over to the Lord, but not all the areas of my life. 
they were secret areas. They were areas that nobody could see. But the, they were areas that I kept under my own lordship, under my own jurisdiction. There was no great rebellion or disobedience. Nothing, as I said, that anyone could see. It was so minute. And yet I knew it was there in my heart. I knew it. I shopped, I ate, I dated, and I had fun, in my own opinion, all apart from the will of God. You know, I thought God was against me having brownies. God didn't like me having Rice Krispie squares. That God would put me on a vegetable-only diet for the rest of my life. And that I could only, you know... I, I wasn't allowed to date, that that was evil. You know, I had gotten so mixed up. I believed the lies of Satan so badly. I did for myself what I felt God would not do or didn't want to do for me. I tried to be a self-blesser. A self-blesser. Like, God, I really want to watch... Mary Poppins, but I know you're probably not into it. So um, I'll meet you after the theater, what, church, seven o'clock? We'll see each other then. I, I just was compartmentalizing my whole life. And you know what? It was all because I did not know how good, how thoroughly good and fun and delightful the will of God was and is. So frustration marked my life. My spiritual progress was limited. I was always insecure and in turmoil and fear until one day I was absolutely so frustrated with my own ways and my self-blessing was not working out. I gave everything to Jesus. I gave everything. I still remember where it was, when it was. It was at Twin Peaks. It was after a Bible study. It was at a college and career retreat. And when I gave Jesus everything, it wasn't like, I give you everything. For me, it was like, I give you everything. Please don't hurt me. Please be gentle. I give you everything. It was like that. It wasn't pleasant. And you know why? Because if I knew then what I know now, I would have been dancing. I would have had my arms raised going, I'll give you everything. But I cowered. I just was like, okay, go ahead. Take it. I was so ready for something terrible to come down on me. I, I, was, I remember at the time, you know, right after I, I, I gave God everything, this woman came up to me and said, God says that he has crowned you with a crown. She didn't even know what the transaction had just been. She's like, can I talk to you? And I'm like, sure. And she's like, God saw your prayer. And he said, a crown of love is coming down on your head that will radiate. 
And I had a vision of you, and she gives me this vision, and she said, and God is going to give you the desires of your heart. And I was like, really? So I started trying to say every spiritual desire I had, and she's like, no, that's not what God says. She said, listen to me, before next summer, you're going to be married. And I was like, there's not even a boyfriend in sight. And the guy next to me, who was not good looking, no offense, I hope he doesn't remember this or hear this. He says to me, it's not me, it's not me. And I looked at him and I thought, if I can't even get that, what am I going to be married to? Having no idea that that December I would meet the man of my dreams. When I first met Brian, another girl came up and took his hand. I was so disappointed because we were having a good conversation and he was cute. She came up, she took his hands, and she started, like, glaring at me. I was scared. And a couple weeks later, he said, that was not my girlfriend. I just invited her to the study, and she thought it was a date, but I made it clear it wasn't. And he kept trying to let go of her hand, and I thought they were playing hand games. I'm like, great. You know, all the cute ones are taken. You know what they say. Excuse this, but in England, there's a saying that dating is like a car lot. All the best spaces are taken and what's left are handicapped. Sorry. It's going to take a little while, but you'll get it. So, you know, this. And I, I remember, you know, when he first asked me out, he said, that girl was not my girlfriend. But I had said to the girls in the car, my girlfriends, I said, that's the guy... That's the type of guy I want to marry. I've met the only guy I've ever talked to that I thought I could be married to. And he's taken. So I am still the president of the Bachelorettes Till the Rapture Club. Nobody else would join, but nevertheless, I was president. I had no idea of how good the will of the Lord was. I was terrified of what the ramifications of giving God everything. Where would he send me? Who would I marry? And what would I be required to do? But when I gave God everything, that moment God met me, as I said, with that prophetic word. And slowly, progressively, I began to realize that I had been lied to that I have been deceived, that the will of God is good, so, so good. In Mark 1, 40 through 42, at the very beginning of Mark's gospel, when, it, when we're told that Jesus went forth with the good news, we have the account of the leper who comes to Jesus covered with leprosy and says, if you are willing, if it's in your will to make me clean, you can do it. It's all about your will. And this is the answer of Jesus. I am willing. Be clean. Here is the will of the Lord. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. The will of Jesus 
is to cleanse, make whole, reconcile, and bless. That's good. And you can't get any better than that. I tell you this this morning because I know that even as Satan lied to Eve and Satan lied to me, he still lies. And, and he's lied to some of you. And you've fallen for it. On the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, Jesus spoke to those who were listening because they were under the impression that the will of God was burdensome, was the keeping of the law, which was doing the rituals, which was the regulations and the sacrifices and bloody and violent and oppressive. Jesus knew how Satan had lied, deceived, and influenced the children of Israel and those he was speaking to. And so he told them in Matthew chapter 6 that God's will was to feed them bountifully and clothe them beautifully. And he said, your father, your heavenly father, knows what you have need of. And he delights to give you those things. Your heavenly father knows. And it is in his will to give you what you need emotionally, mentally, physically, and socially. Your God knows. And God's will, God's will as the great I am, is to meet and even exceed those needs and bless because of what Jesus has done by covering your sins, forgiving your sins, and reconciling you to God. So what is our problem? So what's your problem already? Our problem is, that we do not know the goodness of the will of God. When God revealed himself to Moses in Exodus 34, verses 6 through 7, the Lord himself said, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and children's children to the third and fourth generation. Here's the problem. Do you see the paradox here? God is good, but sin keeps you from God's goodness. So how can a good God bless sinful man? Because his justice, his holiness, his righteousness, the fact that he's Good requires a payment for sin. It requires righteousness. And we have come so short of the righteous requirement to get the blessings, the comfort, the goodness of God. So what can be done to remedy this problem? How can an all good God punish sin and yet save reconcile and bless a sinner. 
This is God's great objective. This is his great desire. This is his will to reconcile creation back to himself, to do away with sin and perfect men that he might have fellowship with his daughters and sons and bless them and bless his whole creation. That's good. That's good. As believers, we need to see the ultimate good objective, the good things and desires of our God. This good will of God was what the angels announced at the birth of Jesus in Luke 2, 14, peace on earth and good will toward men. Through Jesus, we have God's best, his good will, his true desire, his objective can be inaugurated and come to pass. Once again, in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 18, the author of Hebrews contrasts the old covenant with the new covenant because his readers, like you, like me, did not realize how good the will of God was. They misguidedly thought that God's will consisted of following the law, This is what God wants. He wants me to obey rules. Or this is God's will. He wants me to offer sacrifices, to give up this and give up that, give up this and and not have that. Or to be dutiful, the duties of the priest. He wants my life with violence and gore. They did not realize that these things only foreshadowed and pointed to the cost that was necessary to bring the good things to us. They thought that the law, the sacrifices, and the priestly duties was the end all. They thought that's what God wanted, but they did not realize that they were pointing to, foreshadowing. They were not the image of the things. They were not a mere copy. They were not even an exact replica of the original. They were a shadow, a very dim, obscured reflection. Have you ever looked at your shadow? Your shadow has no details, does it? You can't see where your eye is in a shadow, can you? You can, and everything's kind of exaggerated. Ever notice that about your shadow? You're either longer or you're shorter your nose is bigger, or if you do weird things with your hands, it looks like animals. Your shadow is not the true reflection of you. It's a silhouette, but it doesn't have the details, and it exaggerates so many things. So it was with the law and the sacrifice and the priestly duties. The law could never perfect, verse 1, those who approached, could never complete them, could never make them whole, could never satiate, could never, could never satisfy the requirements of God. Why? Because no one could ever fulfill the law's demands. No one could ever do the law. 
The sacrifices, according to Hebrews 10, verses 2 through 4, could never purge sin, could never remove the guilt, the consciousness of past sins, because the fact that they were continually and yearly repeated showed that the sins of men were not removed, but only covered, only a temporary covering. And because it was impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to do away with sin. The priest could never, verse 11, even though he ministered daily and offered repeatedly the same sacrifices, ever remove or take away sins. Because the law, the sacrifice, and the priest were not the ultimate will of God. That was not the will of God. They could not bring in or usher in the will of God. They could only point to the will of God. They could only point to the need of a better covenant. And they could only remind men of their sins and need of a better covenant. They were the markers, the indicators the directional signs, you need a mediator. You need a better priest. You need a better sacrifice. You need a better law. You need something better. But Jesus came to inaugurate, to bring in the will of God. Hebrews 10, verses 5 through 10. The author of Hebrews quotes Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8, to show how the sacrifices and offerings were not the will of God. They were not the end objective. They were not the end desire. They were not the goal. God's will for you is not the law, not the sacrifices, not the rituals. That's not the methods. That's not God's will. And this is what God said. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. This is God's will. God's will is that Jesus would pay the penalty for your sin. But that's not the end. That's only the beginning. That's only what was necessary that you might enter into the good will of God. You see, but some of us are standing outside on the other side of the cross, just looking at it going, it's painful. It's terrible. Is that what you have for me? No. That's the way in through Jesus to all I have for you. Jesus is not on the cross. He is on the right hand of God, the Father. He was raised for your justification, that you might know, that you might know, that you might know that your sins are forgiven, that you are covered, that you might enter into the reconciliation, that you might be called a daughter of God, that you might realize every day just how good the will of the Lord is. 
God's will is not seen in the law. You cannot look at the law and go, oh, wow, that's, that's great. No. You cannot look at the sacrifices and go, okay, God's will is good. Nope. Can't look at the priestly duties or the regulations. Can't look at that and say, oh, God's will is good. No. You have to look beyond that. God's will is to take away the first covenant and establish the everlasting covenant. Isaiah 61 verse 8 says this, For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery for burnt offering. I will direct their work in truth, and I will make with them an everlasting covenant. He said that when the first covenant was still operational. He said, I don't like this. This is not my will. I'm going to establish an everlasting covenant in truth. God's intention, his will, was a new covenant. And by this new covenant, he wanted to bring these good things. One, the sanctity of believers through the body of Christ once and for all. He wanted to consecrate everyone who believes to make us his own, to consecrate us for his good purposes, to set us apart, to make us unique and different and special for his purposes. He selected us and set us apart to bless us. By God's good will, he wanted to take away sins Verse 11, by God's good will, verse 13, he's bringing all the enemies, all the enemies under the authority of Jesus Christ, the enemy of death, the enemy of sin, the enemy of sickness, the enemy of Satan, the enemy of this world, the media, all that. He's, he's letting them wear themselves out because they're already defeated. And he is waiting to bring all of these under the authority of Jesus. And they are in the process right now of being brought under the footstool of Jesus right now. All these things are wearing themselves out. What are we seeing in the world right now? We are seeing men coming to the end of themselves. We are seeing this worldly system come to the end of itself. We are seeing sin coming to the end of itself. Death coming to the end of itself. They are coming to the end because they are a defeated foe. And slowly but surely but most certainly, they are all coming under the authority of Jesus Christ. This is the way I've begun to pray. I have begun to pray saying, Lord, I bring this person, I bring this situation under the authority of Jesus Christ. I I. I put that under the feet of Jesus Christ. I bring it right there under the authority of the cross because the cross says this is already defeated. The cross says this is already over with. God's will is to perfect forever all those who are being sanctified, all those who are being set apart for salvation. God is now perfecting. And the word perfecting is progressive. 
You know, we get so upset like, oh, I blew it. I sinned. Today, I had to make a left-hand turn out of my neighborhood. And those cars would not stop coming. So I gassed it. And I just pulled in front because I knew I could do it. I knew I had the speed. I, someone gave me a BMW that's, that's 13 years old, but it still got it. It's a gift. I almost got a license plate that said, it's a gift. But then when you go to South Coast Plaza, you don't want people to think it was a gift. You want to think like, yeah, I can afford that dress. It's a gift. But I pulled out wildly. And I had brought my breakfast with me. A breakfast of yogurt and strawberries because I was running late this morning. And they flew off during my wild turn. And strawberries went all over with yogurt. And I thought, I knew better than that. I knew better than that turn. I knew better than to set the strawberries with the yogurt where I did. And this is my own fault. I deserve a yogurt strewn car because I was stupid. And the Lord said, um, who are you talking to? Me. Well, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, hey, you didn't get hit, did you? I had to send eight angels down for that move. But I saved you, didn't I? He did. And all I had to do was clean up a little bit of yogurt and find my strawberries and rinse them off from the lint because I still wanted to eat them. But you see, we are in the process. God isn't looking at you going, (laughs) you know, I thought you were going to be further along by now. He's like, process is happening. Paul said, I have this confidence that I know that the one who has begun a good work in you, he'll finish it. He'll finish it. We don't have a half-completed universe, a half-completed earth, a half-filled ocean. We don't have octopus with seven legs. Like, oh, I meant to do that eighth one. I'll get to it. No, God completes. What he started, he completes. He'll do it. He will do it. He is perfecting. He has started the process in us, for us, and he uses our circumstances. He convicts us and uses our yieldedness to bring us into all his purposes, all his good purposes. He is bringing out the hidden potential and the original design that he has for our life. Philippians 1, 6, being confident in this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He is internalizing God's work, 15 and 16, that now the law is written on our hearts. He's working on our desires and working on our thoughts. That's part of the process so that it's no longer an outward standard of conformity, but it's according to our desires. He works in us, again, Philippians 2.13, to will and to do, to want, to want to obey him, to want to surrender. Um, in the Hindsfeet on High Places, one of the best books ever written, 
She talked about how God wants to make us a glad stream that loves to flow over the rocks and spill over the cliffs in glad surrender to the Lord. He gives us a new heart. So our will desires his good will. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days. What days? After the days of Jesus Christ. Says the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds I will write them. God's good desire is that there be no more separation between himself and his creation. Verse 17. Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. In Isaiah 59, 1 through 2, we're told of the reason for the separation. What separated God from his creation? What kept us from the blessings of God? Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. That's what the problem is. This separation, every sin put us this much further away from God, and yet God wanted reconciliation. But sin was the problem. So Jesus paid that God's will to bring us close, to be able to intervene and bless might be realized. Jesus came to bring us emancipation from our sins, to set us free from our sins, and he did that by the work and blood of Jesus once for all. There is no need for another sacrifice. He paid it. It's amazing to me to realize as I read the book of Hebrews that this epistle is written while the sacrifices were still going on, but even these were about to cease. Most people believe Hebrews was written sometime between 60 and 69 A.D., And in 70 AD, Titus destroyed the temple completely. And he so destroyed the records that for over 2,000 years, they don't know who truly is from the Aaronic tribe, the tribe of Aaron. There has been no one since 70 AD, who can qualify for a priest? There has been no sacrifice for sin. No more blood of bulls and goats since 70 AD. Do you realize that within within 40 years, 40 years, which is significant in itself, within 40 years from the time of Jesus' crucifixion, all of the physical sacrifices offered in the temple were done away with and they have not come back. They have not come back. And even though the Jews are back in the land, what do they still not have? A temple. That's right. They don't have a temple. They don't have an altar for sacrifices. They don't have a priest. Why? Because Jesus died once for all. There is nothing for the Jews to return to. No more priesthood, no more sacrifices. They are left only with the law, their sin, and their guilty conscience 
unless they receive the Messiah who loves them, who came according to the scriptures to emancipate and save them. Jesus alone reveals to us the goodness of God's will. God's will is to reconcile his creation back to himself, to bless his creation, to glorify his creation, to take it to its highest intention and potential. And Jesus, by his sacrifice, has brought us into this new covenant, this covenant, this new covenant, whereby our sins are forgiven and we can receive all the promises and blessings of God. It's God's will. It's God's objective. It's God's desire. Have you been lied to by the devil? Have you been told that the will of God is not good for creation, is not good for believers, that it's not good for you personally and individually? It's a lie. God's will is good. God always has your best in mind and heart. I think of this, the song, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And one of my favorite stanzas is this. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. This is God's will. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. That's the good will of God. Did you hear it? Listen again. Close your eyes. This is God's will for you. Pardon for sin. Peace that endures. His own dear presence with you to cheer you up, to comfort you, to guide you. Strength for today. Whatever strength you need present with you today. Bright hope. For whatever comes tomorrow, blessings with whatever blessing you're thinking about, multiply it by 10,000. Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. This is the will of God that Jesus revealed, accomplished, inaugurated, and has brought to you. May you no longer be afraid to say, not my will, but yours be done. May you not be afraid to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If there are lingering thoughts that the will of God is not good, if it is hard for you to pray that prayer, to say that, it is only because you've been lied to. You're not a bad person. You're just a fearful person. You have believed the lie. I believe the lie. Sometimes I still get tricked by that lie. God's will is good. The more you know that, the more that comes into your consciousness, and takes over your heart, the more freely you'll 
you will surrender. The more that when we sing, I surrender all, you're like, could we bring it up a beat? <laughs> surrender all. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, we're like, can we rock it? Well, some of you would say that. I would say that. You know, like, I just want to celebrate. I want a song like that for the church, you know, or like, we will, we will praise you. Oh, yeah. We will, we will praise you. Why don't we have something like that? You know, I, I want a big old declaration for the church. You know, I want us to like, let us rock our forgiveness. Let us like, let us rock our surrender. Let us not come to God cowering like, I surrender all. Could you take it if I don't give it? I don't want to be like that anymore. I want to rock it. I want to like, yeah, take this and that and everything you want because you're good. You're good. You know, I don't know how to do it because I don't want to have this and I can't rap and I have no rhythm. But in heaven, I'm going to be so good because that's when the will of God's going to be fully seen. And wait till you see my new nose. It's going to be so cute. But you know, can we rock it that the will of God is good? Can we stand up? Stand up. Stand up. I want you to repeat after me. God's will is good. Yeah, now let's kind of rock it. God's will is good. Ooh, some of you did that so good. I'm so proud of you. God's will is good. God's will is good. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for my sisters. I pray. Oh, Lord, get thee behind me, Satan. Lord, I pray that the voice of the enemy would be drowned with the song of emancipation that we have received through Jesus Christ. Lord, that we would know that we would know that we are forgiven and now it's all good. Because of Jesus, it's all good. That we can look at our future and say, it's going to be good. That we can look at a trial and say, this will turn to good. Because Jesus died on the cross and he has risen again. Lord, you took the bad so we could receive the good. You took the worst so we could receive the best. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, Lord, may we rock it. May we know it and embrace it and revel in the goodness. Lord, may we trust you and be so ecstatic with your goodness that, Lord, it's nothing for us to throw up our hands and say, I surrender all because what you do is so much better than anything we can do for ourselves. And you intend good for all of us good things for all of us. So Lord, we pray. We pray that we might know in the deepest reaches of our being and all our being that your will is good. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.